Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 14. We will, uh, throughout our time together, read the whole passage, but I'm just going to begin by reading verses 1 and 2, and then we will jump into the text together. So Genesis chapter 22. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Let's pray together. Father, we ask now that you would not only allow your word to be heard, but you would allow it to be understood, that you would uh, empower our hearts to hear your voice in the text and to hear what you desire for us, God, and teach us, Lord, not only to receive your word, but to respond to your word, Lord, to, to obey your word. God, we come to you every Sunday in need of you. And I pray, Lord, that you would be who we find today, Lord that we would experience your grace, that we would experience your presence, that we would encounter your goodness and your faithfulness in your word by the power of your spirit today, Lord. Empower me to teach your word as I ought, Lord, according to the truth. And Lord, help us to respond in faith accordingly. In Jesus' name, amen. My family loves the TV show Shark Tank. My, my, my wife is a bit of an entrepreneur. She's started a couple of companies from our home. And so we love to see these inventors and business owners come to these in investors, sharks, uh, and pitch their ideas, pitch their, their, their dreams, their hopes. And they invite these, these ruthless investors to uh, infuse their hopes and dreams, infuse their, their companies and their products with cash in exchange for a small uh, equity ownership in their company. But what will happen uh, often is that uh, as much as they desire the investment from the sharks, the sharks will typically ask for more of their company than they are willing to give. They ask for a little bit more of a sacrifice than the entrepreneurs are willing to give. And many times they walk away from the cash that they're asking for. They walk away from the investment that they were hoping for. And I use this illustration because at times it is tempting for us to uh, picture our relationship with God in the same way. We've got a product, we've got our life, we've got our passion, and we come to God often and we ask him to infuse our world, our lives, our kingdom with a little investment, whether that's, you know, his spirit to empower us to fulfill our dreams or cash to fulfill our dreams, or whatever it is, we come to God and we treat God like an investor into our lives. But God's not an investor. He is Lord. He is King. And often what happens is when we 
realize that following Jesus and obeying the call of God, when we realize that it's going to come at a sacrifice, we begin to weigh whether or not that sacrifice is worth it. And when our faith is tested, the question is, will we trust him that he is good or will we walk away not wanting to give up what God is asking us for? God, I'll give you this. I'll give you Sunday, but Monday through Saturday, that's for me. Or Lord, I will reform my speech. I'll stop using these words, but hands off my sexuality. Or God, I'll give you this, but don't you dare try to mess with this in my life over here. So in this passage, God calls Abraham to make an unthinkable sacrifice. And what he learns in the process is what our hearts need to cling to today. And it all begins by God asking Abraham to sacrifice his son calls Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. Now, if you're not familiar with this story, even if you are familiar with this story, what God calls Abraham to do on the surface is appalling. But we need to be mindful of a couple of things in this text as we move forward. First, Abraham grew up and was raised in a pagan culture. He is from Ur of the Chaldeans. He is from Mesopotamia. And the Mesopotamians worshipped a pantheon of gods, the chief of which his name was El. And El would at times call his worshippers to sacrifice their children. Abraham also has been living in the land of Canaan for 25 years. The Canaanites worshipped among many gods. They worshipped a god named Molech. And Molech, at times, would require his worshipers to burn their children in sacrifice. And so even though Abraham was familiar with this world, even though the idea of sacrificing his son would be, would be heart-wrenching, for Abraham. Abraham lived before the law. He lived before Deuteronomy 12:31, which says child sacrifice is an abomination to the Lord. But Abraham doesn't necessarily know that yet, and in his culture, he would certainly have had opportunity to experience people doing that. The second thing that we need to realize is that as readers of this text, we know that this is just a test. We're told in verse one, God comes to Abraham to test him. Now, a few weeks ago, some of us were at the church office and all of our phones started blowing up simultaneously with that really obnoxious uh, noise. And so I pulled out my phone to find out what disaster was coming our way. But some of the people in the office had read that week that there is going to be a test of the emergency alert system. And so even though both of us were startled by the suddenness of the synchronized alarm, one of us did not know it was a test 
The other one did, and so our experience of the situation was very different. Abraham does not know that this is a test. We do. Okay, we do know that this is a test. We know that God is doing something in this. And so that informs the way that we read this. But even though we know it's a test, Abraham doesn't. So we get to watch Abraham respond to what God has called him to do. Now, remember God previously in Genesis chapter 12, called Abraham to leave his land, to leave his father's house, to leave his kindred, to leave everything that was comfortable, everything that was secure and familiar, to leave everything that his identity would be based on. And Abraham miraculously obeys. God says, leave these things and I'm going to give you a multitude, a family of a multitude. I'm going to make your family a great nation. I'm going to give them a new land and I'm going to bless them so abundantly that they are going to be a blessing to every family of the earth. And so Abraham responds. He leaves everything that's familiar for the sake of the uncertain thing, the unfamiliar thing that God was promising him. But all of these promises that God had assured Abraham, they were all contingent upon one promise, that Abraham, I'm going to give you children. Without a child, Abraham's family could not become a multitude. They could not become a great nation. Without a child, they could not inherit a land. Without a child, his family would not be a blessing to every family of the earth. And so Abraham is waiting for God to provide the first installment of the promise to give him a son. And after 25 years of waiting, and Abraham is 100 years old, in Genesis chapter 1, the immediately preceding chapter, God finally is faithful to his promise, and he gives Abraham a son. And so recognize that Isaac, in Isaac is bound up all of the promises of God to Abraham. What he is being asked to sacrifice, yes, is a child. And that is appalling to us as we have already talked about. But more than that, God is asking Abraham to lay on the altar all of the promised blessings that God said that he would give him if he left all of his earthly promises, all of his earthly blessings, his family, his land, his security, all of that. And so after following God for 25 years, what God is calling Abraham to sacrifice is his hopes for the future. He's asking Abraham to sacrifice everything that God had promised him by offering his son, Isaac. And we get to see how Abraham responds. Go to verse three. So Abraham rose early in the morning saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. God calls Abraham to make this impossible sacrifice and he responds in obedience immediately. And the way that the author tells this story is genius. Abraham, for a while in the text, doesn't say a word. There's no, there's no 
inner monologue. There's no wrestling with God in prayer. He doesn't process this with his wife, Sarah. He just responds immediately. And the beautiful thing about what the author is doing is that in Abraham's silence, we get to fill up with how we would process if we were in Abraham's shoes. So Abraham, he wakes up early in the morning. Not me. You, could, you couldn't get me out of bed that morning. Abraham wakes up early in the morning. He saddles his donkey. He gets his servants. He starts chopping wood. If you've been backpacking or camping and, and, and forgotten wood, you know what it's like to go around scrounging for sticks and twigs and kindling to make a fire. And maybe you find a fallen log and you're trying to cut that down to size. But all of it is because you're cold and you want to be warm or you're hungry and you want to eat. There's something good and desirable at the end of the tunnel of chopping wood. Not Abraham. Can you imagine how every Every piece of wood he gathered is just a death of a thousand cuts. Knowing what that wood is going to be used for. And then we're told that he travels for three days. A journey of three days. At the end of which he knows awaits this horror the reality of what God is calling him to do. This little team, Abraham and his son and the servants camping at night underneath the stars. I can only imagine Abraham looking up at the stars, remembering the time that God called him outside to look at the stars and said, Abraham, count the stars. If you can count them, that's how many children I'm going to give you. And then here's Abraham with his son sleeping next to him, his one son, his only son, the the, the promised son. Laying next to him and just wrestling, God, you said this and now I I don't get it. I don't understand what you're doing. So we're told nothing about Abraham's thoughts or prayers so that we would experience it as though we were in his shoes. And I will tell you my thoughts this week. As I've meditated on that and tried to put myself in Abraham's shoes, my thoughts have been this. Nope. God, you ask too much. The cost is too high. I didn't sign up for this. So there are times in life when God invites us to let go of things that we know are wrong or the things that we know are are, are bad for us, right? God calls us to repent of sin, to turn away from our sin. Sometimes God calls us to turn away from good things that are are idols in our lives, that, that control us. It's a good thing, but we've made it an ultimate thing. We've made it something that we serve and, and, and base our lives on. Sometimes God calls us to turn away from those things. Sometimes um, God calls us to turn away from, from the, 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 the good things that, that I think of Francis of Assisi, who was raised in the lap of luxury. He had a, a wealthy merchant father and he was converted and he was convicted that he needed to abandon wealth and abandon his status in order to seek only the status 
of a son of God, a child of God who, who lived in, for the rest of his life in, in poverty just to serve people. Sometimes God calls us to turn from good things like that. Think of the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and wanted to know what he must do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus told that man, go and sell all you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. And the man went away sad because he couldn't imagine parting with his wealth. Sometimes God calls us to turn away from even good things. And sometimes God calls us to give up things that we can't possibly understand why. Good, beautiful, perfect things. Anyone who's experienced the loss of a loved one too soon, who's been in that position where you're asking God why, and all you get back is silence. We don't understand. And in sorrow and and grief, people who have lost loved ones will come to this text. Often they'll reflect on this text. Many will ask God for for faith to to, to pass this this test, whatever has come our way while, while others. God, the cost is too high. You ask too much. They'll turn their backs. Many people will walk away. I know people in my own family who have done so. Jesus teaches that that like following Abraham, like Abraham following God, following Jesus will cost us everything. Matthew 16, 24 through 25, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Dietrich Bonhoeffer famously said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. God's not an investor in our lives. God is the Lord of our lives. And Jesus says, carry your cross, die to yourself daily, and you will find true life in me and in the good news of the gospel. But for many, the cost is too high. John 6, 65 through 66. And Jesus said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Many people will turn away from God because they believe that God asks too much of us, that it should be easier. Here we see Abraham making, preparing to make this unthinkable sacrifice. He never once complains. He never looks back. He never appears to cower from God's command. It's in silent obedience. He prepares to give God what God asked for. Let's go back to verse four. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. 
And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took his hand, in his hand, the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them, together. This is, this is the first opportunity we have to see what's going on in the mind of Abraham. He directly implies that both he and Isaac are going to come back from this worship experience. He says, me and the boy, we're going to go over there, we're going to worship, we're going to come back to you. And so they begin climbing the mountain, and Isaac is the next to break the silence. Verse 7, and Isaac said to his father Abraham, my father, and he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. To both the servants and to his son, Abraham is either giving a bold-faced lie or there's something else going on. This is what I think. Abraham's been following God for 25 years. He's left everything to follow God. He's experienced God's faithfulness time and time again. He's experienced God's deliverance. He's experienced God's goodness. He knows who God is, that God has been with him. He trusts him. And he knows that God has promised him that it is through Isaac that his, his, his family, that his offspring will be named. That it's, it's through Isaac that the promised blessing of becoming a, a multitude and a great nation and inheriting the land and being a blessing to every family of the earth. God has promised Abraham that time and time again. And God knows, or Abraham knows that, that God has told him it's through Isaac that all of this is going to happen. And I believe that Abraham believes him, that it's through Isaac. But he also knows what God is calling him to do. And so he knows that somehow God can ask him to do what he is prepared to do. And yet God is still good and that God can do what he said he would do. Which is bless the world through Isaac. And so Hebrews 11 gives us insight into what's going on in Abraham's mind. Hebrews 11 verses 17 through 19. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it is said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead. Abraham was prepared to do what he was ready to do, what he was asked to do. And he believed that God could still be faithful to what he had promised to do, ultimately setting his hopes on the fact that God is able to raise the dead. Abraham believed that if I go through with this, in order for God to be faithful, Isaac will raise from the dead. This brings us to the climax of the entire, the entire story, beginning in verse, verse 9. When they came to the place which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order. 
and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, don't lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. So many people come to God because of what they believe that he can do for us. I remember the moment for me. I remember knowing I am going to hell. And I don't want to go. God, you say that you'll deliver me. You say that you'll forgive me of my sins, the sins that I cannot forgive myself. You say that you have eternal life for me. You say that if I believe that you will love me, that I will be accepted, I'm in. Because I don't want the alternative. I want what you can provide because all I've provided for myself is filth. God, come into my life and give me the thing that I am being promised that you can give. Many of us, we come to God because of what he can provide for us. And then we're shocked when he asks for something in return. When he asks for our lives, when he asks for everything, when he asks for complete allegiance, And when we struggle to surrender, in my life, when I still struggle to surrender, so I'm not up here as your example. You know what it's like to wrestle with God. God, I want to trust you with everything, but I'm afraid to trust you with this. My health, my family, Don't, don't, don't touch that, God, please. And in those moments, what my struggle is, and maybe what your struggle is, is either, God, if you take this thing, you're not good. I don't believe that I can lose this thing and you still be good. Or, God, I know that you're good. I never want to question that. but I must not have the right faith. Because when we're caught in that tension of an unthinkable sacrifice, an impossible surrender, and yet confidence and trust in the goodness of God, what we're really wrestling with is either his goodness or my faith. And many live in fear that I'm never going to be able to give enough to please God. I remember having a conversation with a friend of mine 
must have been 2007, very shortly after my father passed away. And we were talking about trials and suffering in life. And, and I remember weeping to him and, and saying, Everything I've experienced in life, all of the loss by that time in my life that I've, that I've encountered, all of it, I, I would not be able to go through this if it weren't for God preparing me. And I remember saying, all of this has prepared me for what I'm going through now. And I am terrified for what this is preparing me for. Is, is this God? Does God just take and take and take until we have nothing left? And then all we can do is, is cling to him. Is God ever satisfied? Some of you know what it's like to have a parent who's never satisfied, an employer who's never satisfied, maybe a spouse who's never satisfied, and you continue living in this fear. Am I ever going to be enough? And that's the key. It's not just God. Will I ever be able to give enough? to satisfy you. Ultimately, deep down, it's God, am I ever going to be able to be enough to satisfy you? How can you possibly accept me when you keep taking these things from me? That's what we struggle with. That's what we fear. That's the crux of the issue. God, will I ever be enough for you? And what we learn from Abraham is a truth that is so difficult for many of us to accept, even Christians. We still struggle to believe that this is true. Your salvation is not because of the size or the strength of your faith. Your salvation is in the object of your faith. You will not be accepted by God because of the sacrifices you provide or the services you perform. All that is required of you is to believe in the sacrifice that God has provided for you. On the cross, Jesus Christ is seen to be far greater than Abraham far greater than Isaac. Jesus is the ultimate proof of God's provision because on the cross, God has given us his son. Like Isaac, Jesus followed his father's instructions up a hill with wood on his back. But unlike Isaac, Jesus was not delivered. Jesus was the sacrificial lamb who takes away the sins of the world. Scripture tells us that the wages of sin is death. It's what we deserve for our disobedience. It's what we deserve for our rebellion. But as the ram died that day instead of Isaac, Jesus died instead of you. Like Abraham, he was faithful because he believed that God could raise the dead. Three times before Jesus went to the cross, he he predicted his death and resurrection. He knew what was going to happen. That God would raise him from the dead. But unlike Abraham, Jesus didn't hear a, a voice from heaven staying the execution. What was heard was Jesus' voice from the cross saying, Father, forgive them. 
They don't know what they're doing. See, our attempts, in our attempts to please God, in our attempts to to garner favor from God, to, to know that we are accepted by God, what we really want to know is that God is pleased in us, that, that we are accepted by him. And God's response to our desire is to point to the cross and say, look what I have done to prove to you that I love you. Look at what I've done to prove to you that you are accepted. Look what I have done to, to, to give you confidence That it's not about what you give me, it's about what I have given you. We can have greater confidence and greater assurance than Abraham had. See, Abraham's assurance came because he didn't withhold his son. That's what the angel of the Lord says. Now I know that you fear God. You've not withheld your son. And he makes this promise. He swears by his own name that everything I've promised you, Abraham, it will all come to pass. I will surely make you a great nation. All of the families of the earth will be blessed through you. Abraham's assurance came because he did not withhold his son from God, but our assurance comes because God did not withhold his son from us. That is the length to which God would go, not only to save you, but so that you would know that by his grace and his grace alone, you are saved. And it's in that confidence of God's goodness and God's faithfulness that like Abraham, we can and should fully surrender ourselves to him we will still encounter tests of faith. We will still encounter things in our lives that will cause us to cling to nothing else but God himself. Look, there's a saying that people say all the time, God will not give you anything greater than you can handle. Yes, he does. He gives you things greater than you can handle so that you will know Not only that he is enough, but that by his spirit, who is the down payment of all of his promises, he is with you through it. He empowers you in it. He weeps when you weep. He rejoices in the victory as you rejoice in the victory. But these tests of faith come not so that God will be confident in you, but so that you would have confidence in him. That he is good, that he is worthy, and that he can be trusted. All we have to do is give him everything. And in return, We get him. We don't get an investment. We don't get a little burst of hope. We get the living God himself. Would you pray with me? Father, that's what we want. Confident assurance of the living God. 
the one who raises the dead. And God, you, you told us in, in your word that it is the Holy Spirit himself who lives in us that raised Christ Jesus from the dead. The power of the resurrection dwells in your people. And so God, I pray that by the blood of Jesus, you would give us today just a jolt of that resurrection power. Bring life into this place, Lord. Bring, bring life and your presence into our sorrow, Lord. In those who are experiencing uh, loss or fear of loss, Lord, that, that they would know beyond a shadow of a doubt what Job realized that the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But God, would you be merciful to us? As we experience the difficulties in life, know that we are weak. And so we pray the way Jesus taught us to pray. Lord, lead us not into the test. But deliver us from the evil one, Lord, that on the other side of the test, we will see a greater glory. Teach us to surrender to you, Lord. All we have is from you. So we hold it with open hands, Lord. Thank you for Jesus. We trust you. We worship you in this place. In Jesus' name, amen.